Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast, where we talk about perceptions of the future, issues we need to be aware of, and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi, I'm Craig Saffin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. The Humanized Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to. Welcome once again to the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast. And uh, I'm joined as usual by Mr. Craig Saffin. How are you, Mr. Saffin? I'm very, very fine, Mr. Barlow. And uh, actually, I should be saying Dr. Barlow, shouldn't I? But anyhow, um, yeah, I'm fine. I've had a very busy week, and uh, but I'm really looking forward to this um, this interview with uh, with Jack. Yeah, brilliant. And we're joined today by Dr. Jack Jacoby, who's joining us from uh, Melbourne. So welcome to our little program, Jack. And do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and your background? Thanks, Steve and Craig. Um, very short and sweet. I've been in the consulting game for about 35, 37 years. Uh, I've been in the Tier 1s at the time, uh, two Schrosses, KPMGs um, and Ernst & Young. And for the last 25 plus years, I've been operating my own corporate advisory and consulting house. Uh, I also have an extension of what I do based in Singapore, uh, and we provide advisory teams and mentors to uh, C-suites and uh, CEOs. Oh, that's that's uh, amazing, uh, Jack. I, I wanted to um, ask you, you you're advi- you've said you're providing advisory teams and things like that. Um, what, what is the sort of things that you're advising on? Well, it's not that we advise on. Um, we provide technical experts to help clients do what they do. So if a client has uh, a problem with procurement or IT or whatever the case may be, and it's Uh, typically more than one problem, we provide a team of experts that we call an advisory team. They're available to the client as frequently as they want, which is fairly unusual. Um, And uh, we enable one-to-one. So let's take the example of procurement. The head of procurement in the client organisation is able to talk to the procurement expert on a one-to-one or uh, through the team. Whatever works, whatever helps the client, it doesn't matter. And um, it's a powerful way of helping organisations achieve whatever they're trying to achieve. Mm. Yeah, that that sounds fantastic. Uh, uh, Clients must appreciate it. I I know you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, they do. It's valuable. Mm. Yeah. One of the things, uh, the the main thing we we wanted to talk to you today about is about uh, strategy. Um, Steve and I have been talking about strategy to various people over the last few weeks. And one of the things that's stuck out to us is, in you know, the last few years have been quite uh, a period of change for business and and uh, in the way people work and engage with their clients. And um, it, what I'm, you've made me aware of is that you have, uh, you know, strategy is one of your specialties and you, you've developed over the years a decision hierarchy uh, with about 12 pivot points. Um, can you can you talk to us a little bit about that and and uh, you know how you came about this um, this approach uh, to examining strategy in an organisation? Yeah, um, 
and I'll try and get through it as quickly as I can. Oh, please take your um, time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was in the tier one consulting environment, we were exposed to hundreds, literally hundreds of clients, and I was always fascinated by how um, well-meaning managerial decisions can stop shareholders getting what they wanted. And that doesn't, there was no maliciousness or anything. Everybody's trying their best. Mm. So when I did my um, uh, research, I focused on exactly that, the relationship between management and, and um, shareholders. And what I tried to identify was a model that applied to all organisations. What was the raison d'etre? What was the starting point of organisations? And when you talk to different people, they say different things. Bottom line um, is that an organisation gets its bearing, every organisation gets its bearing from its definition of purpose. And that may seem bleeding obvious, but I can assure you that corporations don't actually act that way. Um, if you're talking about a for-profit uh, business, then it's the shareholders. And when you ask the shareholders, whether it's public or private, on the basis of value, benefit, growth and risk, what do you value? What benefit do you want and when and how much? What do you regard as risk and what do you want to see grow? you will get, particularly in a listed corporation, a bell-shaped curve. The challenge is where does the company pitch its objective, its KPO? Yeah, sure. And, and there are a whole lot of reasons that the shareholder is not the stakeholder that needs to define that. The board must because the board has a better understanding of context than the shareholder. And I'm assuming now the shareholder is a listed shareholder, they're not active in the company, even though some employees may work in the company. However, when you look at a not-for-profit, it's exactly the same principle. But what you're looking at are not shareholders, but the constitution or the memorandum of association or whatever it is that established the organisation. And if you're talking about government, then you're talking about the Act of Parliament that established that department. Mm. Because they all say this organisation is to do this, this and this. Mm. If you look at the World Health Organisation, there are 22 objectives that are not pri uh, prioritised, that don't have a metric associated with it. That is the first uh, pivot point of every organisation and that is the start point. Once you know that, then the board can make a, an informed decision on where to put the organisation's KPOs, mm. where to put them, what the metric is, what the priority is, and what the time frame is. Once you know the KPOs, and most organisations have got three, four or five KPOs, and, and let me now, for those that are not sure there is a difference between a KPO and a KPI. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask that. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, the KPO is the key performance outcome. Yep, or outcome. Objective. Yep, yep. The KPO is the measure that the organisation uses 
to determine how it's progressing to the toward the delivery of the KPO. Mm. Interestingly, a quick um, uh, story. I was doing a job for a billion-dollar business that everybody is familiar with uh, in Australia anyway, and I was speaking to the CEO and I said, what are your KPOs? Because it was relevant to what I was doing. Reached into his desk, pulled out a sheet of paper, printed on both sides, must have been 11-point font, because there are about 60 items <laughs> on each side. And he said, these are my KPOs. And I said, no, they're not. You cannot deliver 60 items simultaneously mm. because they conflict. And after we chatted about it, we identified four KPOs. Now, the interesting thing was it was a billion-dollar business. The guy was a chartered accountant, and he couldn't tell the difference between a KPO and a KPI. Anyway, so... You take it to the board, they identify the KPOs. Once you know the KPOs, mm. then you can, and that, by the way, is the second pivot point, mm. the board. Mm. The third pivot point is um, where you know what you have to achieve, you then have to decide from which environment are you going to achieve it? What's your market? What are the segments in the market? Because the total outcome from your market has to deliver your KPOs mm. in the timeframes that you've specified. Um, and there are four characteristics of a legitimate market segment because it's rarely the whole market. There mm. are normally segments in the market. It's got to be identifiable. Mm. You need to be able to access buyers within that identifiable market, the, the segment needs to be relatively stable so that if you invest to extract the benefit, it's got to be around long enough for you to be able to get the benefit and it's got to be big enough to make it worthwhile. And that doesn't mean it can't be a niche market mm -hmm. because a niche market can also be big. Mm -hmm. So once you've decided on and defined <clears throat> your market, then, then, and only then, can you say, well, what products and services are we putting into each segment? Because the total outcome from that has to deliver the KPOs. Once you know the products and service mix, you then say, well, how am I going to get these things, these products and services to the market? And you'll resolve your channels. And they can be multiple channels. They can be one channel does everything. Doesn't matter. It's what works. How do I support my product, services, and customers? And thirdly, how do I communicate and, in other words, sell to those segments? Now, what you will notice to this point is that you can't decide on channel support and selling strategy until you know your, the, what you're selling and what you're channeling and what you're supporting. Sure. And you can't know that until you know the markets you're playing in. And you can't know that until you know what you're trying to achieve. Right. So it, okay? goes, back up, it goes back up the, uh, the pivot. Correct. You're talking and about. there's a hierarchy. Now, yeah. once you've resolved your channels, your support and your selling and communication strategy, <laughs> you then decide on the people you need to make it happen. Oh. And the I was waiting for the people. I was waiting for them to come in. 
<laughs> well, yeah, well, it's important, but it's okay. not your first consideration. Okay. okay. And the systems and processes needed. Because you can't resolve that until you've answered the questions in the hierarchy above. Yeah. Once you know your people that you need and the systems, you then decide how we're going to manage it all. And that includes structure. And the typical new CEO, when he or she comes in, mm. will change structure first. Why? Because it's easy. It's a mm. line on a piece of paper. It's and also yet, it's also a, an easy way to make a mark. This is me. This is my, absolutely my brand. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but by starting with structure, you don't fully appreciate the impacts up and down the hierarchy. Mm. Once you've decided on your structure and your management style, you then model the decisions that you've made. And when the outcomes equal your objectives, your KPOs, you stick it in concrete and call it either a strategic plan or a business plan. It doesn't matter. It's only a matter of detail. Now, if it doesn't deliver the objectives, you go back up the hierarchy and you look at the decisions you made and say, well, can I change one of these decisions in order to get the outcome we're chasing? Now, I use that structure and that and there are 12 pivot points in that. I use that structure to write business plans, and I've written scores of them because it has logic. It has logic. I, I was asked to write a business plan for another corporation you'd know. It was a $5.5 billion plan. And the first thing I always do is ask, can I please see your constitution or your charter or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. And lo and behold, now remember, this was five and a half billion. Yeah. Um, lo and behold, of the things that appeared in their charter, mm. half of them they weren't doing. Right. <laughs> but they had a charter, right? Of course. Well, yeah. th there are very few organisations that don't have a charter. I'm talking about yeah. NFPs, NGOs and government. Yeah. Large organisations, I agree, but the smaller organisations don't. Well, so. the small one, it normally rests in the owner's head sure, or the family's head, and sure. it's a sort of an informal agreement um, and generally unstated. But I do a lot of work in the small business sector as well, okay. and they get so much clarity mm. by actually putting it on the table and saying, oh, yeah, that's what we're really after, not the other stuff that sounds good. But this mm. is our objective. So I wanted to, so that's amazing. Uh, thank you very much for stepping us through that. And I kept up with each of the pivot points. So thank you. Um, it was great to see how you work, worked uh, from the overall KPOs down through the market and out into the um, customer channels and stuff. So thank you. What I want to ask you is, um, you know, this huge change going on at the moment, uh, partly through climate change and partly through environmental, other environmental matters such as recycling. Yep. And then also there's this thing called a pandemic that's been around that's uh, impacted people's lives dramatically. I mean, what are you, what are you noticing as, as more and more technology comes into the workplace and into businesses? What are you noticing uh, the major uh, impacts to this uh, hierarchy in the 12 pivot points? Yeah, look, it's a good question. Um, I, I have a standard response <laughs> to most people, and it's one word, 
and its context mm. because there's no universal one word or one line definition of what's happening to everybody. Okay. Some people are suffering and suffering badly, no yes, question. Yes. Yes. Some people are making a hell of a lot of money by virtue of the opportunity if money yes. is what they're after. Mm. So it really depends on the context that you're talking about. Agriculture too is a mixed it's a, a, a mixed environment because mm. you've got uh, some agriculturalists, some sectors are doing really well mm. um, and are oversupplying. Take the avocado industry at the okay, moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's a problem, a separate problem, isn't it? Yeah. It's a separate problem. Oh, yeah. um, uh, but there are others that are not getting access to what they need, whether it's fertiliser or whether it's mm. uh, seed or, mm. or whether it's weather to make it happen. Mm. Um, I mean, climate to make that sort of weather. Um, uh, so how useful is it in thinking about changing environments to think about some universal impact? Because there isn't one mm. in, my, in my mind. You, you need to um, really reflect on the context and the stakeholders within it and the influences that occur on them to be able to understand, well, how do we deal with their wicked problem? Mm. Um, and the definition of the problem is different for everyone. Well, there are commonalities, but it's yeah. not exactly the same. Yes. No, I think uh, I think the, the you talked about agriculture there. I think it's probably one of the most complex uh, businesses in the world now, isn't it? It's uh, you know anywhere from the first fertilizer you mentioned fertilizer uh, shortages, but I, I know there's a global shortage of phosphate and things like that, which are absolutely essential for Australian agriculture and and uh, the environment. I know I was in Launceston recently this year, and and uh, a lot of uh, farmers are moving, especially vi uh, vineyards are moving down. To, uh, to Tasmania to get away from the heat and or to try new varietals down there. So a lot of change is going on. Beef, I think, is at a record price at the moment. And so, and then... Um, well, got take, the, take uh, apiarists as well. Right. Oh, that's a huge problem for them, isn't it? Coming Correct. into the port of Newcastle there. So um, so that's uh, that's fascinating. I think that um, what about uh, the... Uh, the people internally in the organisation. I think uh, your your um, seventh inflect, uh, pivot point was people. And uh, what what do you think um, the impact of the people is? Because I know I was out with uh, some people last night in Sydney, and they're they're bemoaning uh, the fact that people aren't coming back to the office, so it's affecting how people work and things like that. But a lot of people are actually quite happy about it and think they're just as productive or more productive. So. Uh, so what do you think is happening from a strategic point of view there as far as people's work practices and how companies yeah. are conducting uh, themselves? Look, um, it, it's a, an issue that's impacting most organisations, mm. but it comes back to the one word, context. Yes. Because different companies in different environments have different needs of their mm. staff mm. and whether the staff can work uh, remotely or not depends on context. Yes. Um, to some extent, mm. uh, employee pressure, whether that's appropriate for the context, is also adding uh, another layer of consideration. Mm. But, but yeah, things are changing. But interestingly, does not change the decision hierarchy one bit. It just mm. changes the detail within it. That's all. Or the decision you make at the pivot point, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Yeah, okay. 
it, in, yeah. it reflects not only on who you employ, mm. it also reflects on the skills you need in, yes. in the new organisation yeah. and it reflects on the organisational culture. Yeah. Take, for example, um, a typical career path yeah. in an organisation where uh, people are organisation-bound, office-bound. Yes. Uh, a large part of career advancement is the development of a relationship with your immediate superior and their superiors in order to get the promotion. Mm. That's much harder when you work remotely. Yes. Um, not impossible, but harder. So the question is, how does the organisation, for its own purposes, engineer a structure that enables them to assess fairly and accurately the capability of their employees in order to have a career path for them? And from an individual perspective, ditto, exactly the same. Yes. So... When you get on a, a Zoom call or a Teams call or whatever it is, there are certain things you can say and certain things you can't say. Right. There are certain level of trust you can engage in and certain things you would be foolish to say, particularly yeah. in the company of multiple people or in the company of a recording that can be referred to later on. Right. Now, we're all getting used to that environment, yeah. and I don't think we're at the final stage yet. No. I think there's a fair amount of evolution still to go, and it'll probably go on for the next 20 years because the next thing that's coming in to add complexity is AI. Yes. And that's starting to boom mm. uh, in, in a number of select areas. So where people are looking for stability, I'm afraid they're probably going to be disappointed. There are so many areas, and I, I call it evolution because yeah. change has got that sort of negative stigma to it. Yeah, sure. But, but you know, business has been evolving for the last three, 400 years. Yeah. It will continue to evolve, and as technology enhances, it will continue to evolve. Mm. And yeah. what the future looks like in 20 or 30 years, I have no idea. Yeah. I won't be around. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think one, one of the things about you said the AI, I think, uh, you know, we're sitting on meetings like this and I think um, um, it's, I think if we're not already there, then pretty soon managers will have, a, you know, the software to analyse what sort of mood you're in or what you're really thinking while you're saying something or something like that. So, um, yeah, the technology uh, in the last two years for these sorts of meetings has uh, gone accelerated rapidly and steve and i have covered off in previous interviews about the change and the you know the fact that that's the constant there's changing all the time and uh and uh, the leadership that we need to run the organizations needs to change as well yeah. so look so, I, I think that can i just add that yeah, I sure. the technology is incredibly efficient mm. however it does lose an aspect of relationship Yes. And I think the challenge will be how do you replace that? Yes. Whether you have one in-person meeting a week or a fortnight or yes. whatever the case may be, but that's the challenge because it saves time, it saves effort, it's really yes. effective and efficient, but mm. it's not 100% yet. And no, we need to think about what's missing. Yeah, I agree. Thank you very much for your insights. Steve, do you want to sum up for us? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so... Um... 
I thought it was a fascinating discussion and very rich in lots of ways. <clears throat> and I guess I would sort of classify it as under the idea of that the world and the business world is evolving, the organisational world is continuing to evolve as it's done for hundreds of years. And you've highlighted two uh, concepts of essential value. And one is structured analytical thinking. And the other one uh, that I got is contextual thinking. So you, you talked, you gave us a structure for guiding our thinking and in a certain order as well, starting from, you know, what's the purpose? Uh, what are the KPOs that uh, we're trying to achieve in the business? Um, uh, what is the market? You know, what are the products and services? What are the channels? Who are the people? What's the system? What are the strategies? What are the decisions? And there needs to be an alignment of all these things. And we have to think logically about each one of these things and to be able to think analytically about them so that we can deliver on the KPOs and achieve the purpose. And all this has to be done within a changing context. So we need to be thinking like this, but also not only thinking in a structured way, but thinking in a fluid way so that we're able to adapt our thinking to what's going on in the present time. What are the problems that are emerging? How should we respond to these problems in a way that allows us to achieve our KPOs? And how do we think about the opportunities of the future that allow us that we can leverage to, to become effective in achieving our KPOs in the future of the organisation? And we need to be able to think like this and uh, not an easy thing to do, but a challenge that we need to be able to face and be up for. So that's what I got out of your talk today. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thanks, thank, thanks very much, Jack. That was, uh, that was awesome. And uh, I mean, your passion, the way you maintained your passion over all these years is fantastic. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Humanized Workforce Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcasts. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews or the future podcasts.